Blog Talk Radio. Major League Fantasy Sports Radio Show. I'm your host, Brian Roach. Uh, today's date is June 2nd. That means we're two months into the fantasy baseball season. Uh, today we're uh, basically, uh, this is the first show where uh, we're just doing one show a week uh, each Sunday night uh, from 8 to 9.30. And uh, we'll start it off uh, with streamers as always along with uh, some like ads and drops that people need to do um, since uh, uh, just to help out your team and then uh, always uh, some series uh, previews and uh, I think next week we'll also also do some uh, series uh, reviews as well Uh, as always my co-host is Cole Friel Uh, welcome to the show Cole Uh, anything you want to open up with and uh, what are you working on this week um, yeah, so so far I've been, or, or with MajorLeagueFantasySports.com, I've been working on the uh, the closing articles every week uh, on Wednesday morning. I, I release a, a relief pitcher's article, the first half of which deals with everything uh, that happened. Pretty much what I try to accomplish with the first half of the article is, is basically to make it more of a news segment uh, than an analytical art, uh, article from from the standpoint of we're, we're covering we're covering the saves of the past week and the save situations of the past week uh, and updating the factual situations uh, of who struggled, who blew saves, things of that nature. And then the second half uh, is more to, to the extent of, you know, finding relief pitchers outside of saves leagues. Because, you know, the thing about saves leagues is when it all comes down to the save and getting the save, uh, it all comes down to being put in the situation by the manager consistently. And other than that, it's, it's more of just, you know, the differences of choosing between people uh, for the other categories. But, you know, at this point, post-draft and when they're on your team, it really just matters if they keep getting the save. So I feel like it's it's good to cover the, the closer situations and the save situations. You know, talk about the closer situations we need to, uh, but talk about these save situations uh, more in a news capacity and just keeping the, the raw bullet points of what's going on. Um, personally, I'm also working on, you know, I'm hoping to tie together. Um, I, know, I know technically the first third of the season has already passed, um, but I'm trying to tie together a, a first third piece uh, sometime soon. That would be a, a, a fairly major work, uh, maybe half the size of my mm-hmm. preseason piece. But again, that that's saying something because my preseason piece is like a hundred thousand words or something. Um, you know, uh, if, if I can't get it done quick enough, it'll be a mid-season piece. But you know, that that's what I'm mm-hmm. that's what I'm hoping for. On a personal note. Um, It'll be sad to, to not be doing the Thursday show anymore, obviously, with Kyle, at least for the time being. Uh, it's funny to me because right. you know when I first started doing this show, we were doing all these Sunday shows, and you were hosting. And when I, when I started hosting the Thursday show, um, you know, when that, when that intro plays, I always have to think about what I'm going to say. And now <laughs> I've done that show so right. often that I, sit, I literally have to sit here on this show, and I go, okay, you don't talk. You don't talk. You don't talk. Wait. <laughs> So right. yeah, that's just the uh, the one interesting change for me now that I'll be you know doing this Sunday show more primarily. Um, so yeah, that's that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's tough when you when you have 
two different roles um, for two, two different days, but I, I'll, I'll have a few weeks off, so you you can uh, talk after right after the music again. Um, but before we jump into our streamer breakdowns, I just want to inform our audience of our partner, Thrive Fantasy Sports. Are you tired of the same old salary-based daily fantasy apps and websites? You can sign up for Thrive Fantasy Sports, which is a prop bet-based site that uses over and unders for players in MLB, NBA, and NFL to make a lineup, and more sports are on the way. You can go to thrivefantasy.com or on your phones and tablets and the iTunes and Google Play stores. Look for the Thrive Fantasy app, and after you download, use the promo code MLFS, which is just the initials of our site, Major League Fantasy Sports, so MLFS. And you'll get your first $10 match in real time. That's right. If you put in 10 bucks, then you'll get an extra $10 in real time. Just download the Thrive Fantasy app or on thrivefantasy.com. You can use the code MLFF. So, uh, and also remember to donate to our Patreon account. You can go to majorleaguefantasysports.com and along the right side of the page, just under the headline section, you'll find the Patreon donation button. You can set up a monthly donation for as little as $1 or make a one-time donation. And thank you to our current supporters. We also have some openings in our fantasy football leagues for the upcoming season, the 2019 season, so you can get a jump start on that. You can email Corey D. Roberts at MajorLeagueFantasySports at gmail.com for more details about that. Uh, and if you want, uh, want to just ask about the league in general, uh, feel free to email Corey D. Roberts at MajorLeagueFantasySports at gmail.com. So, we'll begin with our streamers. Uh, Cole, you can start off with Mondays. Um, I know Mondays are slim pickings because there's not many teams playing on Monday. Um, well, tomorrow. Um, so, we'll start off with that, and then we'll go basically back and forth. Well, yeah, and, and, and you mentioned it, you prefaced it to start off with, but, you know, it feels like almost every time we do a streamer, you know, we, we, we have to make clear that Mondays and Thursdays uh, are, you know, mm-hmm. the common travel days and that uh, some of these some of these weeks we don't have many options. Uh, this week we barely have any options. I mean, I think there might only be right. like four or five baseball games. Uh, yeah, there might be only four or five baseball right. games on tomorrow. <laughs> uh, so just by nature of that beast, there's – uh, you know, and obviously some of the pitchers are going to be uh, in own situations, uh, like for instance, uh, Aaron Nola, who who uh, uh, Aaron Nola, who you know, obviously you, you know we could talk about a start if we wanted to, but he he's not a player who's going to be available in, in wires or something like that. Um, you know, I think the one name I came up with, and it's more of just a matchup, um, if if he's available, is Corbin Martin. Uh, of the Houston Astros, mm-hmm. he's going to be a low-owned, low-owned starting pitcher, and he's going to be up against the Seattle Mariners offense, uh, which isn't an offense I'm scared about. Um, but uh, right now, that that seems to be really one of the only matchups I can really find uh, in this Monday slate. Yeah, uh, what's interesting about uh, Martin is he hasn't gone more than uh, I think like four, four and a third uh, since his. Uh, Major League debut. His last three starts, he's, he, uh, I believe he only went like four against the Red Sox, and then he went three, and then he went like four, four and a third again uh, last time out. But yeah, especially uh, with Seattle, it looks like they've traded away Jay Bruce. So uh, that's that's a that's a guy that was really 
scoring a lot, uh, the hitting home runs, especially against uh, righties. And uh, Martin is a, uh, especially since he plays for Houston, he'll get the run support. Uh, at least he should get the run support, um, and maybe pitch five innings, get a win, uh, if that's what you're looking for. Uh, and he won't hurt your ratios too too badly. Uh, the guy I was looking at. Um, was Eric Lauer. Uh, I know he doesn't. Uh, he's four and four with a 4.45 currently, and he's facing Aaron Nola. But um, I think he's an interesting prospect because he has two starts this week. His second start is against Washington. He doesn't have the best offense. Uh, it, the Washington offense is starting to heat up a little bit, but um, I feel like since he throws from the left side, it gives uh, him uh, uh, at least a a decent look against the Philadelphia lineup if uh, everything goes right. Um, I'll give you my Tuesday Tuesday starts. Um, uh, there's two guys that I was looking at uh, just because there's only the two of us. We got uh, Wade Miley uh, going against Seattle. Uh, obviously, you know, we we talked we talked about Corbin Martin, but Wade Miley. Um, he's been great this year in 3.25 ERA. If uh, if you are able to get him, it might be a good idea to just keep him because uh, he, he's been really good this year. He doesn't get a lot of strikeouts, uh, but he does throw a lot of innings. So if you're looking for quality starts and stuff like that, uh, he's a good option. And uh, another option, Griffin Canning. Uh, 3.06 ERA on the season. Uh, he's facing Oakland. Oakland's a little bit tough. Uh, they've been hot of, of late, but uh, I think Griffin Canning is uh, a good option. Uh, who you got, Cole, for Tuesday? Yeah, so I, I ended up just compiling a, a couple matchup lists like I like I usually do. Um, I, I think yeah. uh, the Seattle matchup from the Houston side of things, you know, um, Houston's got – Normally, we think of Houston as having big names in, in the rotation, but this four-man right. uh, series is, is ended by Verlander, but it started with uh, Corbin Martin, Wade Miley, and Brad Peacock, who uh, are various levels of available. So uh, Wade Miley is one of my, my, potentially to, my potential Tuesday guys. Um, he, he, he's a lefty who, who's found a way, I think, to at least improve in his trait, um, and he, he has been actually pretty solid in uh, – suppressing fly balls, which is important uh, to avoiding damage mm-hmm. uh, and simply, you know, getting, uh, you know, not not lucky in the sense that, like, fortune, but in the sense that, like, luck is something that comes to people who put themselves in the right situations. Uh, and in that situation, Miley can become lucky uh, by avoiding giving up uh, a lot of damaging fly balls uh, consistently. Um, Drew Smiley against Baltimore, Frankie Montas, probably owned at this point. Um, but in L.A., that's a pretty solid start. Um, you know, what, one of the other matchups uh, this whole week, uh, I don't really have any specifics because I don't know who, who exactly is uh, unowned. And I think some of these pitchers have a very varying uh, ownership by, by yeah. leagues, uh, increasing because of the success of the team. Uh, but the Twins are up against the Indians and the Tigers. Now, in general, if we believe that the teams in the AL Central are, not to quote Dennis Green, but are who we thought they were uh, or who who we think they are now, um, you know, the Minnesota Twins are 40 and 18, uh, and the next best team in the division is under 500. Um, So, you know, the Twins are this team that, you know, it's kind of like the Indians last year. We we, uh, look at every single matchup and we say, 
every time they play a division team, it's a plus-plus matchup, and the Twins have a division right. week this week. Um, and if anyone hasn't been paying attention to the Cleveland Indians, they are bad, um, especially on the offensive yeah. side of the ball. Um, I mean, I think Francisco Lindor and uh, Carlos Santana are the only hitters that have been on the team all year that have been worth their salt at all. Um, maybe with the exception of like a catcher being worth it as a catcher. Um, but, but for the most part, that, that offense has been uh, insanely lackluster with, with absolutely no production uh, coming from, from like places like the outfield. So um, yeah, yeah. That's an intriguing yeah. matchup. Just anyone from the Minnesota twin side of things. And um, specifically, I think Miley and Smiley uh, to rhyme them uh, would be my, my two guys for Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh... I agree with that. I think um, both both those guys uh, have just good matchups uh, in that one. Uh, who you got for Wednesday? Um, so for Wednesday, you know, again, a lot of these might just be uh, culminations of some of these series. Um, for one, though, uh, one of the big ones to me, and I don't know what the uh, ownership percentage situation is, um, but I believe they have announced that Jimmy Nelson is finally coming off the injured list this Wednesday. Um, you know, I, I, my guide still had Chassin in that start, but I, I did read an article that said that. So as of right now, I'm expecting Jimmy Nelson to make this Wednesday start. Um, hasn't been mm. shut down uh, in the minor league, so to speak, especially with his inflated walk rate. Um, but he has over 10 strikeouts per nine innings in the minor leagues, which, you know, it is the minor leagues, but this is a guy who struck out more than 10 batters per nine innings uh, the last time we saw him in a major sample. And, you know, with a guy coming off a shoulder injury, the question for me isn't necessarily how good uh, was Jimmy Nelson, but can he get back up to that level? Um, I don't know if he can mm-hmm. or not, but I do believe that Jimmy Nelson back then was pretty legitimate and on the cusp if he didn't have this shoulder injury of being a consistent starting pitcher too, uh, to honestly low end ace uh, for fantasy purposes. You know, I don't know if he was going to get there for real life, but you know, any pitcher who can keep the ratios up, play for a good team and keep the 10, uh, you know, the K nine up above 10 uh, is going to be able to threaten that top, you know, 10 to 12 starting pitcher range. If he can do it uh, with any level of consistency. Uh, And that is the kind of guy I see in Jimmy Nelson. He doesn't have a, you know, everything perfect in my opinion, but you know, the the cost of admission was low this year. And because, you know, you've missed a third of the season because of it. And Jimmy Nelson seems to have uh, a a strong fastball and two strong breaking balls uh, that that all produce whiffs. So, you know, he's able to, to, pull this arsenal together um, if he's able to pull this arsenal together rather and keep it around a 3.5 and a 10 K nine, he will easily be uh, worth, you know, the cost of admission. And this is a player that, you know, you could have gotten pretty, pretty free so far. So he's someone I'm just incredibly excited to see pitch for the first time. Um, he's been an injured league, injured list stash for me in a league where I've been filling more than my five uh, allotted injured list spots with injured players all year in the dynasty. Uh, so I'm very happy that the the one player I decided to to draft injured as opposed to the ones that got hurt in the season uh, is finally about to make his way back. Um, Mangden and Miner, uh, just going off the LA and Baltimore uh, matchups are two other guys I have on this list, but uh, won't go into them as much. Um, so yeah, that that's the main the main guy for Wednesday is Jimmy Nelson for me. Okay, yeah, the, the, there were a few guys I was looking at. Um, but the main guy I'm looking at, uh, Dakota Hudson, he's going against the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, Reds uh, have not been good against righties this season, um, and he's only own, uh, owned in uh, 7% of leagues currently. And 
um, he's only start. I think he only, yeah, he's only, he's had a um, he didn't he didn't look good um, earlier in the season, but his last start he looks he looks pretty good. Uh, six innings, uh, one earned run, uh, four Ks. Uh, his ERA uh, one, it's an ERA of one point five zero. So uh, that he's someone to definitely uh, keep an eye on if you're if you want to stream uh, some guys uh, or if you want to stream someone on uh, Wednesday um, for Thursday. Um, there's not too much uh, that I'm looking at, but the one guy that jumped out at me was uh, Ariel Gerardo of Texas uh, facing Baltimore. Uh, he's three percent owned, has a two point four three ERA on the season. Uh, he, I think he he should have a good start against uh, the Orioles, who really have struggled uh, so far uh, this year, uh, especially at scoring runs. Uh, who you got for Thursday, Cole? Well, you know, first off, to touch on the Ariel Gerardo thing, um, I think what's advantageous is obviously, you know, not I mean, it's obvious, but the matchup uh, because. You know, Gerardo doesn't miss a, a whole lot of bats. Um, in his 2018 sample, he actually had a 3.62K per nine, uh, and that didn't come with very mm-hmm. good other numbers whatsoever. But, I mean, just in general, having 54.2 innings uh, where you – I mean, what's the what's the raw count of that? 54.2 innings where you strike out 22 batters um, is just – is just nothing compared to what basically anybody does in the league. Uh, and a 4% whiff percentage alongside that. I mean, uh, pit, uh, hitters were hitting Gerardo in the zone at 95.6%, uh, which is actually uh, – I, I just looked up that this number just now for the actual figure. 95.6% mm-hmm. decontact allowed is crazy. That's like everyone being Michael Brantley against you uh, in terms of being able to make contact and put the ball into play. Um, now, that said, uh, what, what – my original point was going to be before I, I got into those exact numbers uh, is that uh, why I like having, or why I'm not as concerned about strikeouts. You know, if I'm playing DFS first off, I am chasing the strikeouts because that's how the, the scoring systems right. are made. Um, but if I'm just chasing a, a solid start, you know, uh, maybe I'm down in ratios and, you know, even if I'm down in strikeouts, having a low K nine guy doesn't necessarily you know, take him out of the equation for uh, being low on strikeouts because, you know, if you get a free, free start off the waiver wire, depending on your circumstance, mm-hmm. uh, it's probably the most beneficial. Um, and the thing about someone who pitches to contact is that they're unlikely to be their own worst enemy. You know, when you have a pitcher who does get strikeouts but also gives up a lot of walks, uh, you know, we might try to play the matchups, but often they can be their own worst enemy. They can cause their own demise, uh, and they can ultimately struggle against hitters that, you know, virtually no major league pitcher, uh, or at least not a high-level pitcher, should struggle against. And I think that's my real fear when I'm ca- casting a guy uh, that, that is the opposite of Ariel Girado. So so the advantage to me in Ariel Girado is that if he is uh, capable of being a solid pitcher consistently, um, you know, Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy being able to put him up against because I know he's just going to throw the ball in the strike zone and say, try to do your best. And I, I'm, I'm, I feel more comfortable in a lot of situations with a guy like that 
um, who can manage the contact decently so that, uh, you know, the team can get a lot of outs and move forward in the game uh, as opposed to a guy who, you know, overthrows a little bit and, and risks having these uh, great walk situations or, or being self-destructive in their own right. Um, Gerardo is uh, right. obviously on my list, as I mentioned, Smiley and Minor. Um, you know, I had that entire uh, Texas Rangers against Baltimore series. Um, that, that's an easy one, I think, to uh, to write up and put on. Um, you know, it, it's hard for me because, like I just said, um, strikeouts aren't the end-all, be-all for a matchup to me. Um, but I, I was looking just before the show, and the Angels are, and it makes sense because the guys like David Fletcher and Tommy Lestella uh, and even Mike Trout for what he produces. Um, but the Angels are the best team in baseball in avoiding the strikeout, um, which does hurt a little bit when, you, when you're trying to stream against them because, you know, even if you're cool – when you're, when you're streaming in most situations, you're cool with a good start. You know, if you got a guy off the wire, he gives you six innings, two earned runs, doesn't hurt your whip, and gets you three strikeouts, it's not the best start, but you're not lamenting anything, and you're probably still glad you did it. Um, so it's not necessarily a deal breaker, but it is uh, worth noting um, that a- as they, they get these contact monsters and Tommy Lastella uh, and David Fletcher, uh, among other players, uh, this is a team uh, that doesn't strike out too much, and, and that's something worth noting. Um, uh, the Milwaukee Brewers matchup, uh, you know, I mentioned Nelson earlier. I don't even know if I mentioned who he was up against because I was so excited to talk about Nelson. I, I believe that matchup is uh, the Miami Marlins. I'll, I'll, I'll double-check that real quick, but uh, it is. And it's in, it is in Milwaukee, but, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy Nelson gets one of the best uh, offenses to stream against. And, uh, you know, by the same account, that entire Milwaukee series – uh, if you happen to have a Shasin or a Woodruff, I don't know if Shasin's getting pushed out or pushed back um, in terms of this week. Um, but, you know, if you have a Shasin or a Woodruff, I think uh, both of them make uh, a, a bit of sense to throw out against Miami uh, or a lot if you have them. And if you can get them, I think it makes sense to pick them up to throw out against Miami because, you know, this Miami team isn't isn't very good in terms of the offensive side of the ball. So, yeah, that, those are the ways I would lean on Thursday. Yeah, um, all those guys uh, sound good. Um, a, a guy who also has been pitching well, uh, Mike Fires. Uh, uh, he, he got a win last time out. Uh, he's throwing he's throwing the ball actually pretty easily. He got rocked um, earlier in the season a few times, um, but uh, he, he obviously uh, threw that no hitter, um, and then he went five innings one run, six innings, three earned, and then seven and two-thirds last time out, two earned runs. Uh, got, a, got a no decision, but um, Mike Fires against the Angels uh, could be a nice little option as well. Um, who you got on uh, Friday, Cole? Yeah, so especially for a DFS capacity, um, mm. the San Diego Padres are becoming increasingly more interesting uh, for me to stream against. Um you know, when you look at the the worst offenses in terms of strikeout percentage in baseball, um, you know, you, you have the Rangers uh, working from six back all the way up to, up to one. You have the Rangers, the Blue Jays, mm-hmm. the Mariners, the White Sox, the Tigers, and the Padres. I mean, to compare, I just mentioned how the Angels have uh, the lowest strikeout percentage in terms of the best, um, and that best strikeout percentage is 16.4%. Uh, the Padres are up at 27.2%. 27.2% is pretty crazy for a team because 27.2% uh, until like the last five years would have been considered abysmal for a singular player. 
So the fact that the entire team is striking out 27.2% of the time is uh, actually fairly substantial. Um, you know, uh, in terms of like war depth, uh, these Blue Jays, or excuse me, these Padres haven't been as bad as some of the teams around them because they are still generating isolated power. Uh, they do have quite a few home runs in the season. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons that uh, their reputation hasn't necessarily uh, gotten there yet. You know, they're tied for 10th in home runs, which makes them a top third team uh, or, or, you know, top third to mid third team. Um in that statistic, um, but you know the strikeouts, especially for DFS, are going to pay off a lot. Um, that mm-hmm. said, th- this this national series is hard to pick on, obviously, because it's the Nationals and the Padres. This week happened to catch Corbin Scherzer and Strasburg. Uh, the one opportunity you have in any league to stream up against the Padres uh, in this weekend series is the the Fetty matchup uh, on Friday. Um, you know, not not the right. best matchup once again. Um, but, you know, these never are. We're, we're dealing with players on the wire. Uh, Eric Fetty has had a fairly low uh, ERA so far this year. Uh, and, again, he's going up against a team that has been the most defined this year uh, as being a bunch of windmills in San Diego. So, yeah, Fetty's my, my favorite pick for Friday. Don't necessarily love it, but I also do, uh, especially for DFS, uh, if you're doing low cost, low, low or low cost, high upside, or just high upside DFS in general. Um, you know, low. If you can find a way to get a low cost or a low ownership, rather, starting pitcher against the San Diego Padres, I think it's a pretty good matchup to target because of that. You know, 27 percent strikeout rate. Yeah, uh, it, it'll definitely be interesting to see how how. Uh, he does on uh on Friday. Uh, there weren't that many great options on uh, on Friday, especially for uh, low ownership. But um, a guy who has pitched well recently, uh, Jose Urania of the Miami Marlins. Uh, I know he's going up against Atlanta, but it might be uh, a good idea to throw him out there. Uh, he's had a quality start, and I think his last uh, four or five starts, at least his last four, um, he got the win uh, this past Saturday uh, against San Diego. Six innings, six strikeouts, three earned runs. Uh, but he got the win. Uh, he did walk three. But uh, he, he that's what um, happens when you have him. He, uh, he walks a couple, but he also strikes out four or five, maybe even more. Uh, Depending on the matchup, uh, the start before he went seven innings, only but only struck out four. Uh, but he's riding a, a three-game win streak. Um, sure, he's faced Detroit, Washington, and San Diego. Um, but uh, he faces Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta is obviously a, a really good offense um, with the likes of uh, um, Acuna and Freeman and uh, and the. Uh, uh, Austin Riley, who's uh, been tearing the cover off the ball, but uh, it might be a nice little option uh, on Friday, uh, Jose Urena. We'll move on to Saturday. Um, There's not too many guys I was looking at, um, but uh, the one guy who I would probably start uh, is uh, Merrill Kelly. He's owned in 6%. Uh, he had a great start today, um, and he's at Toronto, um, facing a Toronto team that doesn't really score many runs um, and strikes out at a decent clip. So, And he got he racked up 10 strikeouts today, so hopefully he keeps it moving um, in his start on 
Saturday. Uh, who you got on Saturday, Cole? Um, you know, one name I'd like to throw out, uh, and I don't know the ownership percentage off the top of my head, and, you know, obviously a lot of these guys are variable under a certain point. Um, but Julio Tehran right. is interesting to me against, to me against Miami. Um, the, the matchup you threw out uh, against Toronto, uh, I believe it was Kelly. Uh, I like that one as well. Um, I think – uh, the one, you know, not to focus on this guy for the second time, um, but I am really interested in Corbin Martin, the two-start pitcher this week. Um, uh, same with Wade Miley, if we're transitioning over to Sunday uh, before long, too. Um, you know, uh, there's, no, you know, I feel weird saying it because I don't feel like there's a, a lot to say about the pitcher, and I don't feel super confident about the pitcher. But I mean, right. if you're in any kind of a league where you get benefits from a two-start week, there's some corpses I'd throw out there against Seattle and Baltimore in a week. I mean, that's that's two mm. of the worst offenses. I mean, Baltimore's been getting pre- incredible production all year out of like Dwight Smith Jr. Um, and he's kind of cooling off right now. You know, I still I'm not saying I don't have faith in him as right. a general ball player. I think he might be a nice solid ball player, but uh, he's definitely cooling off right now. Uh, so yeah, I think this uh, again. I like to look at I, the, the way I go into all these is looking at the matchups I want to target first and then seeing if I can find puzzle pieces that fit where I want them to be. Um, and seeing seeing a Baltimore matchup, uh, a game that's likely to result in a win, uh, and and a pitcher that in a, in a league where if I get a benefit for a two-start week, he's there to benefit me for a two-start week. Um, I'm pretty pretty intrigued by, by throwing Corbin Martin out there uh, as one of the potential names. Um, you know, a lot of people have probably dropped him. Um, and, and I liked him a lot coming into the season. I won't defend that like, but Trevor Cahill has a really good matchup on Saturday as well, uh, Seattle. So uh, he might not he might not have been as good as I thought he'd be. I'm, I'm obviously copping to that as he's had a pretty bad first two months uh, after having a, a pretty good last year. Um, but at, at this point, he, he is in a positive matchup uh, against Seattle. So I feel pretty uh, pretty comfortable with him. Yeah, uh, uh, that's uh, an interesting guy, especially since yeah, especially since the struggles um, on Saturday uh, or uh, the struggles uh, so far this season with the near near seven. Um, but uh, why don't you finish it up uh, with your uh, Sunday uh, starter? Starters. Yeah, so one pot- <laughs> one potential option, uh, as I already threw out, was the uh, the culmination of the two start week. For, for Wade Miley uh, on, you know, ne- next to the two-start week for Corbin Martin. Um, I do find this one to be a, a, a little bit of a difficult day. Um, you know, uh, Reynaldo Lopez at Kansas City, that's a guy who I'm expecting is owned in a lot of leagues, but uh, could mm. be available on on, on uh, the other side of that matchup. There's Jake Junis. Um, so, you know, I, it feels weird because you, you pick on the negative. I mean, as streamers, what what we do is we pick on the negative. I think that's the whole point, you know. Right. You can't consistently pick on the positive. If you were consistently picking on the positive, someone's going to pick that dude up. Like there's there's and, and you shouldn't be dropping him back. Uh, so, you know, you, you have to consistently pick on the negative, and the negatives do overwhelmingly just flow around the AL Central. Like there's there's this huge polarity in every single baseball division, sans the NL Central, where the last place team is like 15 games back already literally in every division but the NL Central um 
But at the same time, the AL Central is this division where it actually seems like there's really just one team that can separate itself. Um, and even giving the Indians a lot of benefit of the doubt for how good they've been the last two seasons, um, that doesn't come from the offensive end uh, as much so as the pitching end, and especially when they lost numerous players that are as good as, like, Michael Brantley. So, yeah, I just uh, – I, I see I, – I see – Chicago White Sox at Kansas City, and that's like the Matador Bowl situation where I'm just charging for it, you know, because two AL Central teams, it just makes so much sense to me uh, to, to target that matchup. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, that's definitely a, a good matchup. Uh, the guy I was looking at, uh, obviously, you mentioned Wade Miley against Baltimore, um, but uh, we got Griffin Canning going against Seattle. Um, I actually want to. Uh, I know I talked about him earlier, uh, and I talked about Seattle earlier. I want to talk about the guy he's facing. Uh, you say Kikuchi. Uh, I think it's interesting the way they're handling him. Uh, uh, he was supposed to. He was supposed to be in line for two starts this week, but they're going to use him for like an inning or skip his start altogether. Um, his first start this week to limit his uh, workload since uh, in Japan they pitch every six days instead of every five. Uh, so I, I think uh, Kikuchi's a interesting case because he's had some good starts, but he's also had some bad starts. And usually his good starts happen um, in, right after he rests. Um, uh, at least so far, that's what it's been like the, this season. Uh, so it might be a good idea to stream Kikuchi against the Angels. Um, I know he's probably uh, well-owned, um, but um, he's he's one guy that I would look at to see if uh, maybe you could um, stream him, uh, even if he's uh, at a higher percentage than what we typically look at. Uh, anyone um, else who we haven't mentioned throughout the week that stand out to you, uh, Cole, before we move on? Man, I don't think so. I, I don't have too many more uh, dames on this list right. than, and on my weekend. I, I, well, because I think I think we went through fewer people on the weekend, but I have fewer names on my weekend list, uh, and my my weekly yeah. list is is quite a bit is quite a bit bigger. Um, since since I didn't say it when we got to the weekend, because I, I you know the matchups change around Thursday Friday. Um, I, I right. said both the matchups initially, um, but the Minnesota Twins uh, at Cleveland at Detroit, uh, you get a, a smelter to start week at Cleveland at Detroit. Uh, Tuesday, Sunday, right. um, and then just anyone else available. Uh, you know, the other four guys are likely owned in a lot of leagues. Uh, Odorizzi's been pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Gibson's uh, Gibson right. had a little bit of a rough start, but he's been solid since. Uh, Barrios obviously owned, uh, and then Martin Perez has been up and down, but has had a, a solid streak of ups that probably uh, got him owned in quite a few uh, quite a few leagues. Uh, and, and then when you combine that with the fact that they are currently sitting at forty and eighteen, which is incredible for this Minnesota team. Um, you know, a lot, right. I don't expect a lot of these guys to be available, but if you can, especially if you, even if you can just dip your feet in smelter, um, you know, that, that would be worth it to start to me. Yeah. Smelter is uh, interesting because he just called up uh, last week and he, uh, I don't think he got, I, I think he got like seven strikeouts, but he's not really a strikeout guy uh, per se. Uh, so that that'll be interesting to watch uh, this week as he has a couple good matchups. Um, but we'll move on to basically like 
ad ad drops or whatever. Um, this is a segment that we've done in the past. Uh, it's basically like either guys you should add uh, for this week or the rest of the year going forward. Uh, basically, guys who are hot or you think will be uh, of good use uh, down the stretch. Um, well, so we'll start with you, Cole, if you want to throw out a few names. Yeah, sure thing. So, you know, one one interesting thing to talk about, I think, in, in this capacity is that I think a lot of times on June 2nd we have a laundry list of um, prospects that I, that I think we believe are, are going to come up at some point. Uh, and I don't know if it's the, the maybe the belief that the CBA is about to change with the prox- or just in general the proximity to this uh, new CBA uh, potentially in 2021, mm-hmm. but – that list that I was expecting to have on June 2nd was gone by May 2nd. I mean, Tatis, right. Jimenez, Senzo, uh, Rogers, uh, just naming a few guys uh, just off the top of my head. Um, you know, Guerrero, I think we expected to be up, um, you know, before right. now. But I think a lot of guys we were expecting them to hold back a- as much as physically possible uh, before they got mm-hmm. up to this level. Uh, and, and we haven't actually seen that. So, you know, Keston Hyer is another one that's, that's up. Um, uh, and so I think, I think when we're looking at it, uh, I think for one, I just want to point out in general, you should be keeping your eye out for big name prospects because any surprise big name prospect uh, getting jumped up to the next level is worth speculation. You know, um, the twins have two interesting guys, but I don't think they're close enough to the majors. I do, but you know, that's the thing. Uh, what happens if they get really, really hot? And the twins are, right. you know, saying to themselves, this is a year where we got to not be cautious and put some, some chips in. Uh, Royce Lewis and Alex Karloff aren't hot right now. Uh, their, their numbers don't represent uh, incredibly hot hitters or, or hitters that need to be jumped up at a young age yet. But, you know, say they, they do get hot, especially, you know, like in, in a level above high A, they're they're not. Mm-hmm. It's not crazy to suggest that someone like that could be up quick, but again, most of the names that would be on that traditional list, uh, like Senzo, like Jimenez, uh, like Tatis, uh, were already called up long before we got to this point. Um, Luis Urias is one of the uh, is a player that I think is kind of interesting. You know, he's he's weird to kind. Of, he's almost weird to talk about in this capacity because uh, I think he made the team out of spring spring training. He's never been a particularly high-level prospect in terms of uh, either power or speed, uh, having an overwhelming amount of either mm. one of those. Um, but at the same time, you know, he, he is only 21 years old. Actually, he turns 22 tomorrow, so ha- happy early birthday. Um, and uh, since he, you know, uh, again, started the year in the majors with an 083, 241, 125 slash line, so, you know, absolutely pitiful in every single way, a WRC plus of 16 for people who don't know how that works that's a number out of 100 and a percentile stat so that means he was essentially 16 percent of a relevant player um but in the minors since he's been demoted he has 13 home runs in 39 games he has 13 home runs four stolen bases uh he's only striking out at 18 percent of the time compared to 38 percent of the time in the majors he's walking 13 percent of the time he's hitting 355 with a 453 OBP and a 711 slugging percentage now a lot of these uh, i'm not 100 percent sure if that's a pcl league um but regardless they change the balls a lot of the triple a leagues lean a lot towards hitters uh, and making hitters stats become inflated at the same time 
Ian Kinsler is not getting it done right now for that team. Uh, and in general, they're struggling a lot. And, you know, he struck out a lot the first time up. But if there's one thing that we expect out of Luis Urias, it's that he's not going to strike out too, too much uh, as he develops. He's, he's a guy who's known a bit more for the hit tool. You know, we expect more of that 18 to 20% uh, like he did in 12 games last year and in 39 games of the minor leagues this year uh, is more of the true talent range. So, you know, for a team that's struggling so much to make contact uh, and for a team that doesn't have a, a solid block or a solid playing block uh, against Luis Urias, Luis Urias right now, uh, I think it makes some sense uh, for him to become a speculative ad, even you know maybe before he get before he potentially gets called up, um, because you know there's I think there's a pretty good chance um, that you know I like to believe even even if it's influenced by minor league balls and uh, minor league parks, I do like to believe there's something about getting hot. Um, and, and right now, mm. if you would have looked at Luis Urias in April, you would have said he wasn't in a rhythm. Um, but right now he seems like he is in a rhythm. And I do believe, you know, regardless of what your overall long-term skill or value is, I do believe you can just simply get into a rhythm in the minors, get called up in that rhythm in the majors, and have that rhythm carry you for at least a half a season. And then, you know, you want to even extrapolate from there, a half a season's worth of numbers, if you're not terrible for the rest of the season, can even give you a you know full season's worth of value, so to speak. Uh, in, in terms of the end result. So uh, Arias is one name that I'm very intrigued by in this uh, potential call-up manner. Uh, on the pitching side of things, you know, uh, it, it was supposed to be all about Whitley and Luzardo this year, um, you know, aside from Mike Paddock. But, um, you know, we haven't seen either of those guys get, get close. Luzardo had the shoulder injury. I don't believe he came, came anywhere close to actually playing in the minor leagues yet, but I could be wrong on that. Uh, and then I, do, I would think Whitley had something to it at some point. Uh fairly recently so you know that that's not something very likely at least in the interim but Zach uh, Galen or Gallon not a hundred percent sure um, but the uh, pitching prospect from the Miami Marlins has been uh, very good so far this year in the minors he, he isn't someone who's been defined by uh, prospect types uh, as a particularly high upside arm uh, in any capacity uh, but but at the same time like it's, it's kind of like a similar sense to Griffin Canning right Griffin Canning uh, was striking out like 9.5 to 10 batters per nine uh, and throws a lot of pitches, um, but does have this kind yep. of label of non-ace. And it's hard to kind of distinguish what that means because I think I think all that really means is, you know, if he learns to be a pitcher like the average pitcher, um, he probably has B-level stuff. But, you know, a lot of pitchers mm. learn how to pitch above their stuff by, by learning to be good pitchers. Um, and, and so far, Zach Gallon is showing the ability to dominate uh, hitters at least at some level uh, in the upper minors. So I, I think it's interesting to see if he can continue to pitch uh, and get guys out that way, despite, you know, missing the high upside uh, tab by his name, like you get from like a Forrest Whitley uh, or a Luzardo. So, you know, just an interesting uh, guy to throw out there on the pitching side of things. Plus, while the Miami Marlins might not be good, uh, very good or have a very good offense. They do have a very good um, park for a pitcher to, to play in. So uh, even if he doesn't get wins or even quality starts, he could potentially get uh, some ratio benefits uh, from, from that, that big park. Um, you know, I mentioned him a little bit earlier. Uh, I won't go too much into him uh, again, but, but Jimmy Nelson, if he is available, uh, I think it, it is someone definitely worth going out and getting. I'm sure he's not available in a lot of leagues. Um, more, he was probably more available when he started his rehab assignment. Once you get to like that fifth rehab start, right. you've got to be expecting a guy to come back 
really soon. Um, so maybe he's owned in most leagues by now. Um, but again, you know, if if he's not owned in your league, which uh, I'm sure is true about somebody somewhere, this is a guy who, if he is healthy like he was two years ago, could easily be a three five ten k nine guy. Uh, and those are pretty rare to find on the wire, especially on a winning team. Uh, so, so that's very interesting to me. Um, again, I, I like to look at uh, players, uh, a lot of player trends in terms of adding. So, you know, David Fletcher is a weird one to bring up because David Fletcher, according to this ESPN, uh, you know, chart in front of me, is available in about 26% fewer leagues than he was, you know, a few days ago. And then when you combine that with the leagues he was already owned in uh, and the fact that there's a lot of dead leagues, that probably means that the time to get David Fletcher uh, wasn't this week, but last week at the latest, because uh, it seems like uh, he, he's really starting to get a, a populist to his appeal um, uh, or a population. Um, but uh, I, I think he is worth talking about still, even if it doesn't perfectly fit this category. Um, because what David Fletcher's done, uh, and the, one of the most added players in baseball, David Fletcher's done, is absolutely been incredible in terms of making contact and getting on base. Uh, he currently has a 6.1% strikeout percentage. And, and, you know, 6.1, I mean, that stands out on, on the page alone to me. I mean, 13 strikeouts and 213 plate appearances uh, is fairly substantial. But what's way crazier to me is his contact rate, especially because those are numbers that, you know, regulate uh, with, with a, a fair amount of, you know, speed and how, and how quickly they get to a point that's, you know, quote-unquote statistically stable. Um, so uh, in terms of these strikeout numbers, for, or in terms of these contact numbers for David Fletcher, you know, his, his Z contact is, I believe, higher than um, – and I'm trying to double-check it really quick, but I believe it is higher than anybody in baseball last year. Uh, if it's not, it's very, very close, uh, and I believe it is by almost a full percent honestly. Um, but, but the big deal in that is that not just that it's first in baseball among qualifiers last year, if we're, if we're applying it to that year. Um, but um, if you don't look at that leaderboard as much as I do, what you might miss in calling him first is that there's as big of a gap from Michael Brantley to number two, as there is from like number two to number 10. And it, it might not be quite that, mm-hmm. but like Michael Brantley reigns supreme as the number one, uh, contact hitter in, in, in baseball, or at least uh, did all of last year. So to have uh, David Fletcher uh, be not just um, – to have David Fletcher be not just uh, at a number a league-leading level, but be above the guy who sets the bar above so many other players is, uh, is fairly substantial to me. Um, and, and it really intrigues me in terms of David Fletcher um, – you know, in terms of Z contact percentage, the best rate in baseball last year was Michael Brantley's 97.3%, and then no one else was above 95.7. Um, you know, a, a handful of players are above the 92 range, and David Fletcher's at 98.4. So he's a full percentage over Michael Brantley, who's a full almost two percentage over everyone else in the league. Uh, when you when you break it down. Uh, by swing strike percentage, which is, you know, the total number of pitches you swing at miss at compared to the total number of pitches you see. Uh, Brantley also led the league last year in that category at 4%. So essentially uh, for every 25 pitches Michael Brantley saw, uh, he swung and missed at four of them. Uh, David Fletcher's rate is 2%, which means David Fletcher's rate is 
half what Michael Brantley's rate is, or essentially that he's swinging and missing. For all the swings he's making, he's only missing once per every 50 pitches he sees, and that is a substantial statistic right there. Um, so, you know, the, the power, the speed, those dynamics haven't become overwhelming when it comes to David Fletcher. Um, but I think anyone who hasn't bought into this guy yet or isn't intrigued by what he's doing and is focused on his lack of power speed needs to wake up a little bit to not just the fact that he's not striking out, but just how he's not striking out by making contact that is on a level that is, you know, above anything we saw all of last year. Uh, and again, for a sample that grows per pitch, 219 plate appearances is incredibly large and substantial. Uh, so small sample size isn't even really an argument at this point. I mean, it is compared uh, to the fact that the league will probably adjust, and there's so many arguments to go into how a player develops uh, and, and moves on through his career. But, yeah, I, I think there's a, a strong argument that this is more than just a, a sample size in terms of him being able to make this high level of contact. So that's just a few guys. Who was that last guy again? Uh, just David Fletcher. Totally missed on that. Oh, okay. Yeah, David. he was one guy I was looking at um, as well, uh, especially since he qualifies for all those positions, really uh, helps uh, bolster a, 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 at least the bench of your team. Um, but, yeah, I'll list a few of uh, my guys as well. All those guys are great, by the way, especially um, – the uh, rookies to watch out for. Uh, uh, that will definitely help uh, keep keep your eye on those guys. Um, they could be called up at any moment, really. Uh, maybe not the Twins guys, because I feel like that team's like locked and loaded, uh, unless there's a few injuries. Uh, it, 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 that team's uh, set and probably won't call up anyone um, anytime soon. But uh, I'll, I'll list a few guys. Uh, Derek Dietrich is one. Um, I think people should uh, grab while he's hot. Uh, 17 home runs already. He had a three-home run game uh, earlier in the week. And um, he's he's been actually really reliable for the Reds. Um, and with his um, home park being uh, Red American Ballpark, very hitters-friendly ballpark, and I, I think – He's he's a guy everyone should go out to grab. He, he's never really done this in his career, um, but he's hitting 270 on the season with those 17 home runs, driven in 36, um, and he can play a lot of positions as well. Uh, on ESPN, he has first, second, and outfield. So if you're looking for a guy to fill some holes uh, with some, if you have guys on the injured list, uh, and then. Um, Another guy uh, to grab, uh, Lourdes Gurriel. Uh, he's up to almost 33% owned, um, and but over his last seven days, he has two home runs, 385 average. He struggled uh, his first go around um, in the majors, but since then he's really uh, taken off, really flourished. Um, uh, he, he has an eight-game hit streak uh, since he got. Well, he actually got out today. But uh, he he had hit in all eight games since being called up, including a home run in the first three. So uh, he he's a guy that people uh, should pick up. And um, I don't know if you heard of this guy. Uh, well, uh, you probably have Cole, but uh, the audience maybe not. Uh, Brian Reynolds, 
uh, he's a guy that people should pick up. He doesn't have power. Uh, only five home runs and 160 net bats. But he hits for average. He's hitting 345 now on the season, and he's getting a lot of playing time in that uh, outfield. Um, he's only 14.7% owned, but it's going up with every week that he uh, gets more playing time. So that's uh, three guys that I would pick up um, if uh, if you're looking to add some uh, offensive uh, power to your team. Uh, what do you think about those guys, uh, Cole? Yeah, you know, I think Brian Reynolds is pretty interesting. I had him as a spec ad, mm-hmm. obviously. When, uh, I say obviously because I think everyone's a spec ad, um, you know, because and I think right. that's <laughs> genuine. Uh, uh, you know, it's depending on your your league size. I there's there's very few call ups that are going to be 24 year old call ups getting major roles that I won't view mm-hmm. as being more valuable than the worst player on your team, simply because not because of even what you think about player X, Y, or Z, just because there's such a high, and we talk about this all the time, but there's such a high variance um, in prospects to where, you know, if any prospect that comes up has a ridiculous hot two weeks, they're instantly about 10 times more valuable than they were uh, off the waiver. And if, the worst player on your bench has the exact same two weeks. He's not going to get nearly as much credit. Like, like Tommy Lestella, I think is a great example or, or a David Fletcher, Tommy Lestella's and David Fletcher's uh, and a little bit less of the case of David Fletcher. Cause he is young, but like a guy like Tommy Lestella, like that dude's got to hit all year for about a month and a half before people go, Oh, is this guy kind of legit or worth anything at all? And it's right. like, I mean, he's been worth a lot for six weeks, so yeah, I would say so. If an equivalent young 23-year-old prospect had, you know, it, you know, even I'm sure that the, the power isn't there comparatively, but if Vlad Guerrero was having Tommy Lestella's year in terms of never striking out and, and hitting and hitting mm-hmm. the ball with strong contact, uh, like people would be going gaga and talking about him like the, he was the top 10 player and, oh, look, he's still suppressing the strikeouts like he did in AAA. We'd be going absolutely crazy. Um, you know, there just is a variance when it comes to young players that doesn't exist with old players, and that's the whole reason they're worth buying. Because you know, why do you want a stock that could be worth twenty-five cents, could be worth fifteen cents, and you pay twenty cents against the stock that you pay the same amount but could be worth a ton? You know, yeah, it, it's more likely to be worth nothing at all. Uh, that is the risk you take. But I'd, I'd rather take a shot on the variance of a profit. Uh, especially when the idea on the last guy in your roster is usually uh, that it's close to the level that you can consistently get uh, from the waiver wire. Um, I know for a fact I wanted to talk about your first guy, but but who was your first guy? I can't remember right now. Uh, uh, Dietrich. Um, okay, maybe it was a second. It was Dietrich, Reynolds, and who was else? Um, hold on. Oh, I just had him up, and I just lost him. Um, Maybe it was Dietrich. Oh, um, um, no, it was Lourdes Gurriel, uh, the guy for okay. the Blue Jays, the infielder, real infielder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it might have been Dietrich first. I, I think the, the the first thing with Dietrich, and me and Kyle actually talked about Dietrich a little bit on the Thursday show, um, is that yeah. he still, I believe, might have every single one of his home runs against right-handed pitchers, which especially if you play in a daily yep. league isn't necessarily a negative. 
Um, because, you right. know, if you're playing in a deep, mixed daily league, Switch it just out. means right. that you want to throw them out there uh, against the right-handed pitchers and might be able to get numbers, uh, even though on the smaller sample, might be able to get numbers that, you know, look better than what he puts up. Um, but, uh, you know, by by the same token, it, it would be obviously better if he proved that he was uh, expanding from a role player as opposed to just showing that he's a uh, a, a very good uh, role player who, who's filling into his role very well. Uh, and Lourdes Gurriel is just an mm-hmm. interesting case. Um, you know, we, we have very little exposure to him in American ball still, uh, relatively speaking, you know, just because, um, you know, when, when players come up at 18 years old uh, and they're in our systems, for lack of a better word, or at least, you know, in my in, in my conception of, uh, of minor league baseball, you know, I, I don't know Cuban or foreign or, you know, Dominican or any Korean Japanese league, you know, as well as some experts of those leagues or just very much in general to whereas, you know, I, I have a passing familiarity with the general uh, ascension that a player goes from, from either 18 or 21 years old out of college through our minor league system. And, and we just don't have that with Lordy Scurriel. Uh, so I, I do find him a little harder to project. The walk rates have always been low. He's never been a guy who's walked a lot. Um, you know, the, the Gurriels came over together, and that's something that also fits the profile of Ulieski. Uh They they seem to be very similar in this regard. Um, Guriel, uh, excuse me, Lourdes, um, can't use their last name. Uh, Lourdes uh, has uh, a, a bit more swing and miss in his game as of right now. Now maybe he does find a way to wean that out, but it, it does it does scare me anytime. Uh, that a limited walker does have swing and miss in, in, in his game in general, just because, you know, there, there's the capacity there for the bad KWB, not just the, you know, tolerable meh KWB, but one that truly uh, could be considered um, bad. But he, but he is um, 25 years old now, about 25 and a half. Uh, he's hitting for a 274 isolated power right now. So he, he's certainly been getting uh, – you know, hitting the ball with a level of authority that we haven't seen yet. And I think that's uh, extremely positive uh, to, to project onto him. And, and he's also stolen uh, only two bases, but, you know, there are two stolen bases that he has. So, you know, he looks like a player who could be a potential, like, 20-plus home run, five to eight stolen base guy, maybe even more power if, you know, some of this 200 isolated power jump. Uh, is kind of legitimate. Uh, and as of right now, I do believe he still has a, a fair amount of flexibility uh, to move around multiple positions in a lot of fantasy leagues. So that's obviously a pretty big benefit too. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree with that. Uh, do you have anyone that you think is uh, droppable at this point in time? Uh, I know we we talked about ads, but is there anyone that you would just flat out get rid of um, I know a lot of people have been dropping uh, Jeff McNeil um, since his injury. Uh, it, I, I know he's running at 70%. Uh, it was like on Wednesday, but they didn't have a clear timetable. Uh, same with uh, Fernando Tatis. Uh, he doesn't have a clear timetable as well. But uh, Jeff McNeil's been dropped a lot uh, in leagues. Uh, is there anyone you would recommend dropping? Yeah, you know, I, I find drops to be an infinitely harder uh, conversation to have than ads, um, in my opinion, because, you know, ads are just looking for um, positive changes. And I guess you could say that you're just looking uh, for negative uh, changes. But for one, I think it's a lot harder to spot the absence of production 
and, and justify right. that. Uh, and then, you know, for two, um, I always, you know, assume that the corresponding move for an ad is that you're dropping your worst player. Uh, to me, it's a little right. harder to think about what the corresponding move to a drop is because I, you know, it's hard to fundamentally idealize everybody's uh, a waiver situation. Like Jeff McNeil is honestly the perfect case for this argument because I adore Jeff McNeil. I love him. I, I, I love his ability to make contact. I love his ability to shoot the ball the mm-hmm. opposite way. I do have some some long term concerns that he might just be a, a good solid. Uh, solid on base hitter and not much else, you know, might not be the most uh, sexy fantasy guy uh, for the rest of his career, but I'm a mm-hmm. big, huge Jeff McNeil fan. Um, and in a league that I'm in uh, that I have Jeff McNeil, um, I'm not even considering dropping him, but that's because it's a 15 team dynasty league. Uh, and he was drafted as mm-hmm. being a potential long-term second base, third base outfield utility guy. Um, and again, 15 teams with pretty deep rosters. Um, if I got a, message from anybody that said I'm in a 10 team league and I only have one injured list spot uh, and I have X, Y, and Z injured already. What should I do? It drop, you drop him. Like uh, I love the guy. Uh, I love him as a baseball player, but if you're in a shallow league, you presumably have some options on the waiver um, and more so than having the options when you're in a shallow league uh, that when that replacement level is so high, I mean, you can have a dead team that's, you know, putting up some decent numbers uh, with, with, you know, with replacement levels being so high or, you know, I'm not saying a literal dead team, but, you know, a guy who's barely, he uh, has a pretty bad team and is barely making maneuvers. The the back end of his team is still likely to be pretty solid because of how uh, shallow the league is. So you you can't you just continuously give up value uh, when, when the alternative to, to Jeff McNeil might be like a legitimately solid baseball player. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If I'm playing in the shallow league, I don't think I can hold on to Jeff. If I'm playing in the shallow league and I don't have a spot for him on an IL, I don't think I can hold on to Jeff mm. McNeil uh, in a shallower league. But, you know, 15-team leagues are deeper. I'm also not considering dropping him because in a league like that, even if he – even if he provides me five home runs and five stolen bases for the rest of the year, if he does it with a plus-plus average, that's going to be worth it in a league that deep, especially if I myself uh, can intelligently, you know, pair up categories. Yeah, uh, I can I can totally uh, see that. Uh, there's one guy who um, I'm leaning towards dropping. Um, well. Uh, I think a lot of people should drop him. Uh, he got off to a hot start when he came off the disabled list or the injured list, and now he just flat out has not played well. He's striking out a lot. Um, Ronnie Rodriguez, the shortstop for the Detroit Tigers, uh, he's only owned in 2.3% of ESPN leagues, but he was ripping with the cover off the ball um, when he first got activated. Was like playing every day. Uh, he, I think he had a multi-home run game in there. But uh, this past week, he's been brutal. Uh, He hasn't had a hit since May 22nd. So, uh, obviously, it's been way over a week since he had a hit. And that was a multi-hit game. And then uh, he didn't have – he only had one hit before. He's basically only had three hits since May 17th. So, uh, he's a guy that I – cut ties with this past week and I'm not looking back at it as a bad option. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, sorry, who was it again? Ronnie Rodriguez of the Detroit Tigers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, it depends on the league, league context, but yeah, I mean, right. uh, I, I've, I've got, I haven't 
gotten to the point uh, for him uh, yet that, like, I see him as a must-keep, actually, in uh, right. mixed leagues. And uh, so, yeah, that one that one's uh, someone I'd be willing to move <laughs> on to. I'm trying to pull up his fan graphs and see exactly. Um, yeah, so the, the big thing to me, it, to, to be direct about it, uh, is that, you know, last year he didn't strike out, uh, he didn't walk, but he also didn't strike right. out nearly as much. Um, the isolated power is there, uh, but 4.4% against 33.1% terrifying. Um, mm. 45 strikeouts and six walks is horrible. Um, you know, not to, not to use two different ones, but um, that means the same thing. But, yeah, 40, 45 to 6 K to BB is just not going to cut it. Um, and you got to be like mm. Carlos Gomez. Carlos Gomez with the feet right. and, you know, Hunter Renfro or something with the stick of power uh, for both for me to – uh, keep keep someone with a really low K to BB. Yeah, uh, definitely agree with that. Um, but, uh, we'll we'll stop uh, that for now. Unless you had anyone else you were thinking about dropping, uh, uh, we'll move on. No, I think that's just about it. Uh, just one quick ad. I don't know where he's available, but there's a little bit of shakiness at the end of the uh, Cardinals bullpen with Hicks, and they have said that their long-term goal with Carlos mm-hmm. Martinez at this point is to stick him back in the bullpen. Uh, calling Carlos Martinez a closer for our, our, our you know, uh, friend Kyle Amore uh, has been something that he's been doing mm-hmm. since uh, the beginning of the preseason when he was getting a lot of flack for saying it when it was a kind of an unpopular opinion looks way more likely to be right at this point. And I think it's really intriguing uh, that, that, you know, Martinez does have, I think a chance of, of being a closer at some point this year. So, you know, that's just uh, an interesting, you know, little bit of information I think to track moving forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, but before we move on to the second half of the show or just our uh, previews, I just want to remind our audience of our partner, Thrive Fantasy Sports. Are you tired of the same old salary-based daily fantasy apps and websites? You can sign up for Thrive Fantasy Sports, which is a prop bet-based site that uses own unders for players in MLB, NBA, and NFL to make a lineup. More sports are on the way. And all you have to do is go to thrivefantasy.com or on phones and tablets in the Apple and Google Play stores. Uh, look for the Thrive Fantasy app. And after you download, use the promo code MLFS. That's just the initials of our site, Major League Fantasy Sports. So MLFS. You'll get there. You'll get your first ten dollars matched in real time. That's right. If you put in ten bucks, you're gonna get an extra ten dollars in real time. All you have to do is download the app on the Thrive Fantasy app on the Google Play or Apple stores, and you can also go to ThriveFantasy.com to enter the code MLFS. Um, and also uh, remember to donate to our Patreon account. You can go to MajorLeagueFantasySports.com. Along the right side of the page, just under the headline section, you'll find the Patreon donation button. You can set up a monthly donation for as low as $1 or make a one-time donation. Uh, thank you to our current supporters. Uh, we also have multiple openings in our football leagues for the 2019 season, so you can get a jump start on fantasy football for 2019. Uh, you can email Corey D. Roberts at MajorLeagueFantasySports at gmail.com for any questions or concerns. So we'll uh, wrap up the show tonight talking about series previews. Uh, 
Cole. Uh, you can start off uh, with your weekday preview, and we'll see how time is, and then you might just want uh, you can just jump right into your weekend as well. Yeah, sure thing. So uh, we talked a lot about the division, a little bit about the team, um, but I, I, I do think one of uh, the most prominent teams uh, to, to talk about uh, in this series preview capacity uh, is the uh, Minnesota matchup against the Cleveland uh, Indians. Um, first things first, I've mentioned the records uh, at a couple different points uh, throughout the show, I believe. But as it sits right now, uh, the Minnesota Twins – uh, have the record that, you know, if you would have told anybody, you know, and I'm sure there were some Twins believers and a lot of people were skeptical about uh, the Indians fairly. Uh, all that said, I think if you would have told people that one of these teams was 40 and 18 and the other one was 29 and 30, uh, that they would have had them switched. Um, and this Twins team is more than mm-hmm. 40 and 18, right? They have a plus 109 uh, run differential. It's, uh, if it's not the best in baseball, it's, it's definitely one of the best in baseball um, at over 100 runs plus. The Indians are negative 16. Um, one of my absolute favorite baseball players at this point, uh, a guy I've been supporting throughout the year and then since the, the beginning of the offseason, uh, is Jorge Polanco. Uh, Jorge Polanco is the team war leader at this point. He's still hitting 330. You know, You know what I really love about Jorge Polanco is it just seems like it seems like maybe it's just some some small circumstantial events that I've happened to catch, uh, but it really seems like he knows how to how to play baseball. Um, he had his fourth bunt hit bunt hit uh, today out of six bunts so far this year, um, which is you know both a pretty good ratio and just in general you know. I feel like that's so counterintuitive for so many hitters, like not necessarily uh, in a direct way, you know, in in a way that depends on the player. Um, But I I don't think it's crazy at all to think that uh, a fair number of players that are as hot as Jorge Polanco has been hitting 330 with power uh, all season are, are going to just be like, I'll sacrifice this at bat to drop down a bunt. But Jorge Polanco is so right. fast and athletic and has such good – I think it's honestly his eyes. I've talked to a few people uh, that, that I, I talk to about baseball a lot, like that are in some dynasty leagues about this, going back uh, to when I was talking about them in the off season. But um, I've seen him play a lot, and I've seen him track the ball a lot. Um, and a lot of – and, uh, you know, there's, there's, I think, three things that largely can help you make contact if we're going to break it down by facets. There's, um, you know – uh, having just a kind of a preternatural bat-to-ball ability uh, to be able to put the bat uh, at at the plane where it needs to be to hit the ball. Uh, there's also the, the control and the quickness of the wrists. Specifically quickness, uh, in this context, I mean the ability to catch up to pitches that are, you know, uh, particularly high, uh, particularly fast, or that, that you start late on. Um, and then the ability to see, like, it's it, it's such a weird thing, but, like, Wilson Ramos at one point went from like a bottom fifth, a bottom 10 catcher to a top three catcher because he got LASIK. Okay. So like, it's right. not crazy. For one, it's not crazy at all. Anyone who thinks about it can go, well, obviously eyesight is very important in baseball, but you know, I, I think sometimes we don't even think about how, you know, having that next level of eyesight uh, can help you a lot. And when I watch Jorge Polanco, it really seems like he knows where the ball is going. Like he really seems to track it. Um, he really seems to pick up on spots. Uh, I, I think his eyes 
I mean, I'm not even talking about his ability to judge strikes versus balls, though I do think that's pretty solid as well, and we're seeing that uh, come to fruition finally this year with the 10-plus percent walk rate. But I'm specifically talking about just the ability to track the ball, uh, know where he thinks it's going in the zone and swing at it. So, you know, I've been overwhelmingly uh, impressed with Jorge Polanco. I've been impressed uh, with his ability to, to, to settle for the bunt RBI or the sack fly. Um, not that sack flies are ever really settling. I mean, you're trying to do damage, but you know, um, I, I've been really impressed with what he's done so far this year. Um, Kepler's heating back up, you know, and, and we've, we've talked about it a lot, but his lineup's terrifying against righties with Rosario uh, and Kepler at the, the, the head of it. Um, on the Cleveland Indian side of things, I think it's really interesting because, you know, the, the, I've had my Dolan ownership rant a few times on a few different shows and stuff, but um, yeah. you know, th- I think this team is being – fairly incompetently managed right now um, because to me, and I've said it since, well, no, because I've said it since the beginning. To me, if you're in the position of the Cleveland Indians, you have two justifiable actions if you want to justify, you know, uh, being a city of a sports team. You can uh, say, listen, we don't have a lot of money, and one of the main reasons we don't have a lot of money is because we want to keep Francisco Lindor especially and uh, Jose Ramirez as well here forever. And we're just going to have to make some sacrifices to make that happen. And then I think you can also say, listen, we're not the team that can extend these guys for a long period of time. So what we're going to do right now is up the payroll just a little bit, keep a competitive core together, and take a three-year competitive window. And if we can't win in these next three years, you know, that's just, that's just the crap in baseball. And, you know, that, that sounds so defeatist, but to me, mm-hmm. as someone who views this market a lot and thinks about this market a lot, to me that's not a crazy – thought process for a team that doesn't feel like it can justify, which I think is BS, by the way, but uh, a team that doesn't think it can mm-hmm. justify uh, paying for Francisco Lindor in the long term, it should at least be in the short term trying. And, you know, not going out and getting free agents is even an argument of philosophy. It's not one uh, I agree with as a, as a totalitarian, uh, as a total philosophy, because I think if you have, you know, an overwhelming amount of money compared to what your revenue is and compared to what an average team's payroll is, uh, you should be spending that money. Uh, but, you know, what they did goes beyond not signing free agents. Letting Michael Brantley walk for almost nothing goes beyond everything. I mean, that's yeah. one of the most just because again, people, I hate Indians fans when they argue with me about how much <laughs> team, about how much money the team makes. Well, because, you know, so many people have this dogmatic, mm. Uh, love for their team, uh, which is which is great. But to me, I express my dogmatic love for the team through uh, wanting, rooting for the players and rooting for the players to win, uh, not through supporting owners for stupid reasons. And you know, Indians fans consistently point out like attendance in games, and it's like, no, we have this you know thing called Forbes, and it tells us how much franchises are worth and how much they, in general, make over the course of the year. And the Indians are right next to the Rockies, the Rockies who justified uh, mm-hmm. paying Nolan Arenado, paying Charlie Blackman, paying Daniel Murphy, paying Wade Davis. Um, you know, the Rockies are literally economic brothers to the Cleveland Indians, and they have justified retaining mm-hmm. all of their own players, signing free agents, managing their budget, and they haven't even had as much success. When's the last time the Rockies won a pennant? I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I right. don't know at all, but it's not the last time the Indians did because the Indians won a pennant two years ago. So, you know, you know, because the, the Indians, you know, lost to the Cubs two years ago in game seven. This is a team that decided to destroy itself instead of pay, 
you know, just minimum money to be competitive. Uh, and so that's why I say Cleveland Indians friends, uh, fans uh, frustrate me because it's like if you agree with me, you're not the type. But anyone who thinks that this slide for this team is defensible by saying, oh, this team doesn't have a lot of money, is just being fooled by propaganda and silliness because that's not true. Um, and then in terms of the team itself, uh, you know, one of the names that was on um, the list, um, you know, this outfield is so bad to me. Um, there's a lot of guys, you know, I was a Craig Allen fan at the beginning of the year. That's gone really south. Um, but anyone who gets into this outfield immediately has an overwhelming opportunity because this is a team that's trying to win. The, its immediate goal is production right this instant and getting short-term production, you know, uh, the old Tristan Cockroft meta- metaphor of, of squeezing the juice out of the orange. Uh, so, you know, they don't care how much juice is in these oranges. They don't care how much long-term success is in these oranges. If they can start getting one to produce some juice, that's the one that's going to be in the lineup for a while. And Oscar Mercado right now, he's not setting the league on fire by any means. But he might already be like the right. third highest OPS on that team right now because, again, if your <laughs> sure. name isn't Carlos Santana or Francisco Lindor, you've had a terrible year. Um, so, you know, um, you know, Oscar Mercado, I think, is an interesting ad, interesting player to watch. He's got some speed um, that, that, that makes him really interesting. You know, uh, I, really, I really want to – feel like I have a better understanding of why. Uh, I think the reason that I haven't talked about Jose Ramirez uh, yet in just in, in a general sense or in like the sense of even in, you know, we've talked about the Cleveland Indians a lot both on the show uh, and, you know, in a lot of shows. Um, and I, I feel like Jose Ramirez doesn't come up t- too much. And especially because he comes up on a lot of, you know, people's shows because he's, he's been so bad, you know, his, his may turned it around a little bit, quote unquote, and it was two home runs, five stolen bases, and a 245 average. Um, his slump uh, has gotten to uh, a third of the year at this point. Um, you know, I, I still see all of, all of, pretty much all the things I want to see. He's always had a pull tendency, but so do a lot of hitters. And mm-hmm. he, he's got, uh, you know, he's 26 years old with an elite eye and an elite uh, batted ball profile. And you know, I know I've, I've obsessed or excuse me, an elite eye and an elite uh, power-speed combo uh, with a pretty decent uh, padded ball profile. And, um, you know, I know, I know I've know i stressed a couple things uh, on this show, like the ability to avoid contact and stuff like that, um, or have, have high contact, avoid the swing and miss, rather. Um, but, you know, for, for, for Jose Ramirez, I just feel like the, the, the regression has to come at some point, right? I mean, it's 252 battle right. last year, 235 this year. Um, you know, I, I feel like I should be able to spot something. If it, if he was really going this far downhill, I feel like I should be able to spot something, and I can't see it. Um, and then, oh, I remember the point where I was about to bring up earlier. Um, I, I obsessed a lot when it comes to Jorge Polanco's eyes. You know, you can say whatever you want about teammates being biased, but um, Francisco Lindor has literally said he is jealous of Jose Ramirez's eyes. He says that he I, – I've heard him in an interview – say that Jose Ramirez is extremely talented and has a incredible eye and he specifically said uh, if I had Jose Ramirez's eye there's no doubt I would be the best player in baseball um, you know and so you know you can say it's a teammate's quote or whatever but um, I, I think it does go to show you know he's got a great eye he's got power he's got speed we've seen you know if, if we're looking at him in tools perspective he's shown all the tools and he hasn't stopped showing all the tools it's just it's really just all in that horrible babbit and I don't see anything, you know, listen, his, his soft contact percentage isn't great, but 
you know, a two thirty five Babbitt isn't just not great. It's dreadful. It's league low. It's league lowest or or heading in that direction for a full sample size. So yeah, I don't have anything. I guess the whole point of this is I don't have anything specific. I I don't feel at this point. Uh, to offer in, in terms of Ramirez, just that you know, to me, I, I still see um, the, the skills there uh, as I want to believe in them, but you know, uh, they just haven't come to fruition, and, and that's been uh, a pretty big problem. Um, you know, I, I didn't uh, prepare a weekend series too much. Um, uh, did you have a series that you wanted to go over? Yeah, I mean, uh briefly, uh, you mentioned you mentioned the uh Rockies um and uh, uh or uh, I think it was either the Rockies or the Cubs, but they have a series um that's interesting for both teams. Uh Rockies on a little bit of a hot streak, Cubs sort of uh hitting a lull right now. Um as they uh, uh I think I think they lost again today. So, um uh, that series should be one interesting one to watch. Um, Arenado, obviously, uh, player to watch out for um, uh, every year, but um, he's really he's on he's on a tear right now uh, as a Trevor story. Uh, Charlie Blackman is apparently going to be healthy soon. Um, uh, he's supposed to come back, I think, for um, the second series this week against the Mets. Uh, because he might go on a rehab stint before he comes back. But uh, I think that series, uh, that should be interesting um, for sure uh, to begin the week. And my weekend series, um, just because um, of uh, probably uh, it it helps. It's for both teams, really. Uh, Tampa Bay is playing at Fenway for four games. And... Um, it can really help Boston if they win um, the series to get back into the hunt for that first wild card. Um, and for Tampa, they can really bury the Red Sox if they win the series as well. So uh, those are the two series that I was going to look at. Um, but if you want to wrap up with your weekend series, and then we'll uh, wrap up the show. Yeah, sure thing. You know, I, I think in terms of uh, baseball intrigue, I think one of the best series to watch um, is, uh, is is your uh, – well, excuse me, it's the Boston Red Sox uh, against the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, you know, I think it's one of the yeah. things – one of the things I do like to do uh, is pick four-game series, you know, just because you know, it makes sense. There's mm-hmm. four of them. Um, um, right. and, and this is a four-game series. So, you know, that, that gives um, – you know, I don't. I don't have the standings pull, uh, pulled up in front of me. I'm trying to pull them up right now. But it gives uh, the Boston Red Sox, in particular, uh, you know, if they can win uh, three or four, uh, especially to uh, you know start making up that gap. Um, they're nine and a half games uh, behind the Yankees at a perfect 500, uh, and they're six and a half games behind the Rays. Um, so you know, they, a four-game series gives you a, a good chance to, to make up that ground on second place, uh, and especially because right. uh, I believe there's a pretty good gap between the Rays and the second wild card right now. So um, you know, that that's kind of the spot. You know, obviously you'd rather win yeah. the division for obvious reasons, um, mm-hmm. but you know, right, right, right now, you know, not not saying like this, if the season ended today, because those are always weird arguments to make, but like if the season was even about to end today, like if, if the season was like five games away from ending today, the Rays are in a really comfortable spot 
you know, up up five in the win column from the next best team in the wild card. So, you know, that that's the first, I think, you know, not, not that you would necessarily look at this way. I think you'd rather look at it one game at a time, if anything. But uh, I think, right. I think you know, uh, the first step is getting to that number one wild card uh, and then hopefully finding a way uh, to make up the already nine and a half game back uh, behind the Yankees, who are a 66 Point seven percent, a two thirds win percentage, despite all the injuries they've had this year. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy, like how they've gotten guys like Gio Urshela to just like break out uh, this year. I mean, I don't know if it's just or or Urshela's approach or uh, the return of Gary Sanchez that's really helped them, even though he was injured for a bit. it, it's been interesting to see that, uh, especially with all the injuries they've had, then uh, uh, it helps that they've, uh, I think they've had the easiest schedule so far um, in the majors. Uh, I believe they've played like 10, 11 games against Baltimore. They've already played six against Kansas City. Um, uh, they face the Indians. Uh, I, I think that's also an interesting series to see if the Indians can, because um, because I think the Indians have dominated uh, the Yankees over the past few years. Um, so it would be interesting to see that series as well. Um, I, I think that will about do it for me. Uh, do you have anything you want to wrap up the show with, Cole? Um, any other comments about these series? Um, and then you can do your final point. You know, not particular. I, I think another series kind of – um, it's kind of the opposite of, of basing the series pick based on uh, being a high-level team, but I'm I'm kind of intrigued to right. watch uh, the LA uh, Seattle matchup over the weekend. I'm intrigued to get just to get to watch um, uh, Fletcher and and Listella play more, especially because you know I'm I'm really curious to see if there's anything. I know I I, I do get the feeling that Epler loves these kind of players, just really good hitters yeah. uh, that that can develop elsewise, and and I do too. I've always kind of felt like. You know, Epler gets a lot of crap for things that Depoto did. To be completely honest, I mean that—that's at least my opinion of things. Um, I know different people see it in a different way, but like, not that it would be a travesty by any means because of the fact that they haven't actually won a good number of games. But I think uh, the the Angels replacing Epler would be just downright wrong, um, especially because I would fundamentally believe that Epler set up his uh, his you know, successor so much better than he was set up, like infinitely better than he was set up, you know, and it would literally be like, hey, Epler, you're here to get us through the Pujols years. What do you mean the Pujols years? I thought I was here for the Trout years, you know. Um, and so ultimately I, I think Epler's, you know, the, the, the GM I think that's going to help them get through that. You know, they, they have a lot of intrigue coming up. This is a farm system that was ravaged by Jerry DePoto. Um, they lost consecutive first-round picks for signing – uh, excuse me, Pujols and Josh Hamilton. So, excuse me. So, oh, so I'm 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 a pretty mm-hmm. big, big fan of seeing this matchup. I want to see Fletcher and Listella more. I want to see if these hitting coaches are doing anything that's uh, increasing these um, players' ability to hit hit for contact. Um, that's something I'm intrigued by. Uh, and, and just in general, I know, I know I started on this. It's a, it's a weird thing to talk about when talking about series, but since I started on this, just to go back to the macro, um, I'm, I'm really hoping since we're getting to the time where like we're getting close to more call-ups and 
you know, we're, we're getting a, you know, we, we, we've talked this whole show about the first third of the season in the majors, but there's also, you know, the first third of the seasons happens in the minor leagues too. So um, we, we've had a lot of extra information that we're getting moving forward. And, and I think there's a lot of, you know, intrigue. Uh, they got Kevin Maiton in the fall from the Atlanta Braves situation. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I just, I really feel like they're in a position to, um, start producing their own talent, which is just something that the Angels have not done at all since Mike Trout. I mean, you can go year to year and look at their roster and just see no one coming up from the system. They brought in Kozart. They brought in Simmons. They brought in uh, Kinsler for a year. They brought in uh, different first basemen to, re- to, to you know go into the rotation with first base D.H. Pujols. Um, they brought in Otani, uh, not from the system, obviously, because he was an international free agent. Um, you know, they brought in Justin Upton. They they have fundamentally not developed talent really since Mike Trout debuted. And, you know, everyone talks about why, why uh, you know, or a lot of people, not, 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 I shouldn't say everyone, because the vast majority of people who write for sites like, like The Athletic were saying the contrary. Um, but, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. people talking about, well, how, how are they, the Angels haven't won so far. How are they going to win if they pay Trout this much? Because any team can win on any budget if they're bringing in a high-level amount of talent. I go over it all the time. The Boston Red Sox have one of the worst World Series payrolls of all time. They were paying mm. buttloads of money for Hanley, not on the team. Pablo Sandoval, right. not on the team. Uh, David Price and Rick Porcello were solid, okay members of the rotation. Price a little bit better. But they didn't deserve 50 to 60 million in payroll for a single year that year. They were paying Rusty Castillo mm-hmm. the amounts of monies that people turn their noses up to sign Michael Brantley and AJ Pollock. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a worse budget managed team than the Boston Red Sox that won the World Series that year. So, you know, it's all about yeah. how you spend the money you have and how you abuse, and I do mean abuse because that's, that's you know, the way it is, uh, how you abuse player control and getting those first three years for $500,000. The Angels have not had any players on that first three years, $500,000. And I think they're finally going to start getting a literal pipeline of talent into the Angels organization with this, you know, with a better built system. So, yeah, uh, that, that'll just be my ending thoughts too. I'm excited for the, for the Angels future it's a team. I like to support. I, I'm a fan of Epler. Um, and, yeah, I just I'm I'm very excited to see uh what this team can potentially start building uh with with the combination of a pipeline to go with the best player in baseball and a, a GM that I actually think is a little underrated. Yeah, um uh, I I agree with that, uh, especially uh since he has to work around um that Mike Trout contract uh for the foreseeable future. Uh, but thanks as always, Cole. Uh it was a pleasure. Uh, next week, uh, I believe we'll have a guest. Uh, not entirely sure, but uh, we should. So uh, enjoy the week, and I'll talk to you next Sunday. Yeah, I'll talk to you next Sunday. Two men or three men. Looking forward to it. You're right. I, I totally agree with that. But uh, everyone who's who's tuning in, uh, have a good night. Uh, that will do it for this episode of the Major League Fantasy Baseball Radio Show. 